things first. This is about truth telling. I have no agenda. Zero. I always have questions. What's the problem? That's just who I am. This is what no mercy is all about. Hey, here I come. You can book it. Ah. This is the moment of a lifetime. The clock's ticking like my lifeline. Until I flatline, I push it to the red line. Who gon' stop me high? Who gon' stop me high? Breath taking a move that I make. I give it everything I got. Cause that what it takes. I push the limit till it break. The heart of the brave. The soul of a legend with the will to be great. Hold up. Welcome. <laughs> You know something, it's bad enough that my Knicks are already going from the playoffs, okay? It's bad enough that that happened. It's bad enough that the Los Angeles Lakers are on the brink of elimination as far as I'm concerned because they're down 2-0 in their Western Conference Final Series, which means that it's quite possible that I won't end up being in Los Angeles for the NBA Finals. So that's bad enough. That's bad enough. But then I hear about ladies wanting to violate NDAs with the great Tiger Woods. I hear about people complaining about men that are splitting obligations with their spouses. I mean, I'm just wondering right now where I'm going to go today. I haven't figured it out yet, but I will in a minute. The Stephen A. Smith Show is here. What's up, everybody? Welcome. To the new edition. It's the latest edition of my podcast that I come at, come at you with at least three times a week. Wherever you can find your podcast, you can find Stephen A. Smith. The difference is, is that religiously it was called No Mercy with Stephen A. Smith. And today is the debut of the name change to that podcast. It will now be called The Stephen A. Smith Show after all, because it's not just a podcast. It's a show. It's the Stephen A. Smith Show. You know me very, very well. So I felt it was best to use my name instead of No Mercy. The Stephen A. Smith Show is the name of this show, this podcast, moving forward. There's a lot to get into. Make no mistake about it. And I'm going to get right to it because there's some NBA playoffs uh, going on. Los Angeles Lakers, for all intended purposes, are in trouble. Now, me personally, I don't believe that. I don't believe it from the standpoint that I believe that the Los Angeles Lakers losing two games on the road, in the Mile High City, with that altitude, um, was kind of predictable. It really, really starts as it pertains to this Western Conference Final Series in Los Angeles for Game 3 at the Crypto.com Arena Saturday evening. That's when it really, really starts. We understand that. We get all of that. We accept that. I'm worried because LeBron James re-aggravated that ankle injury of his. I'm worried because Anthony Davis has played more than 40 minutes a game in both games one and two. I'm not sure how wise that is because we never get on Anthony Davis about his game. Our issue with Anthony Davis is his, his durability and his availability. And the more minutes he plays, the more that puts those things in jeopardy. So I'm concerned about that. I saw Darvin Ham and the Los Angeles Lakers and Sir Jared Vanderbilt into the lineup thinking that that was going to do wonders against Jamal Murray, which obviously was working for the first three quarters. And then something happened. Something happened. I don't know whether it was residue from the bubble in Orlando, Florida during COVID. I don't know whether it's a chip on the shoulder or the attitude. I don't know whether it was inspiration from my colleague, the play-by-play extraordinaire himself, Mr. Mike Breen. Bang! That's what he likes to say. And we all love it. 
We used to love Marv Albert when he's like, yes, again, Michael Jordan is on fire. We used to love that. Now it's bang. We love to hear Mike Breen saying that. And I bring that up because Jamal Murray en route to dropping 23 points in the fourth quarter, hitting four or five from three-point range, putting on an absolute show, finishing with a game high 37 points. That Jamal Murray. Former star at the University of Kentucky who can put up buckets with the best of them. Showed up and showed out. And made sure that the Denver Nuggets maintained home court advantage by protecting their home court. He put on the show. The Lakers had no answer for him in the fourth quarter. Both teams looked absolutely exhausted. But I'm just looking at a few numbers here. Just a few numbers that I wanted to throw out to y'all. Just in case you cared. Teams taking a 2-0 lead in the Western Conference Finals since 1970-71 have ultimately finished 56-6 in the series. The Lakers are 0-3 all-time in conference final series after falling behind two games to none. The Nuggets improved to 8-0 at home, 8-0 at home this postseason, 42-7 at Ball Arena overall, the best home record in the league this season. The home team has won all six games between the Lakers and the Nuggets this season. The Lakers are 2-6 on the road this postseason compared to 6-0 at home. They're going into the Crypto.com Arena this weekend undefeated at home in the postseason. They've won nine consecutive home games dating back to the regular season. Dating back to 2011 postseason, this is the 17th time LeBron James has lost game one of a playoff series. Do you know what his record is in the previous 16 series when LeBron James has lost game one of a playoff series, 11 and five. He's won 11 of those series. Jokic, he had 23 points, came down to earth after dropping 36, 21 and 14 in game one. He had just 23 points, a nine and 21 shooter, but still had 17 rebounds and 12 assists, three steals. The man had another triple double. He's sensational. Slow as a snail, can't jump onto a curb, big tub of lard and you can't stop him. It's just the truth. Okay, so we know all of this about Jokic. We understand it, we respect it. We see what it's all about. It is what it is. Triple doubles. Fourth straight triple double. Fifth in the last six games. Jokic joins Wilt Chamberlain, 1967, as the only players with four consecutive triple doubles in a single postseason. It was the seventh triple double in this year's playoff. That also ties Wilt Chamberlain, 1967, for the most in a single postseason. Okay, I'm just throwing out these notes here. Jamal Murray. First three quarters of game two, 14 points, 5 of 17 shooting. Fourth quarter, 23 points, 6 of 7 shots, 4 or 5 from three-point range. Through two games against the Lakers this series, 68 points on 45% shooting with seven steals. That's Jamal Murray we're talking about. And he shot 40% or better from three-point range in eight postseason games this year. And the Nuggets have won all eight of those games, which means you got to slow this man down if you're going to have a shot to win this series. Now, I believe that the Lakers come back and tie this series 4-4. That's with a healthy LeBron James. That's what an Anthony Davis doesn't look like he's about to collapse because he's so damn tired. That's assuming those things happen. And obviously, playing in L.A. as opposed to the high altitude of the Mile High City is a different challenge. But when I look at the Los Angeles Lakers, that's just where I'm at with it. They got a shot. They can even this series. I got Denver winning it at seven because I can't see the Lakers going to, uh, to Denver and beating Jokic in a game seven in Denver. But if anybody could do it, it's LeBron James. We all know this. And LeBron James is not 100% healthy. But I do want to say this about LeBron James. A person I believe to be the second greatest player in the history of basketball. 
the second greatest player in the history of basketball. That is LeBron James. I'm sorry, ladies and gentlemen, better than Kobe. Not a better scorer per se, because Kobe was an assassin, but Kobe was second to MJ in that department. And we understand that. But in terms of all around b-ball skills and what have you and what LeBron brings to the table, I think he's proven with his resume, his longevity, his dependency, etc. He is the second greatest player in the history of basketball. But LeBron James, if you're listening, could you do me a favor? Please, pretty please, with sugar on top. Could you stop shooting damn three-pointers? I mean, you absolutely positively have sucked at shooting threes this postseason. LeBron James has been awful shooting the basketball from three-point range. There's no other way to slice it. And when you look at him this postseason, quarter by quarter, LeBron James is averaging four and a half points in the fourth quarter. We could get into all of that later. We'll talk about this. Actually, I'll get into it now. Endurance issues do come into play. Because LeBron James is averaging 5.7 to 7 points per quarter through the first three quarters on over 50% shooting this entire postseason. Yet in the fourth quarter, LeBron James' numbers dropped significantly to 4.5 points per game on 34% shooting, including 1 of 20 from three-point range. 1 of 20 in the fourth quarter shooting threes. Will you just stop? Will you just stop? Take your big ass to the hole. You 260 pounds. You're a walking behemoth. Everybody is miniature compared to LeBron James. Excuse me, say everybody. That tub of lard that is Jokic, he ain't no, he's not smaller. But my God. I mean, are you trying to just emulate John Starks? I'm a Knicks fan. I'll never get over him shooting two for 18 and one for 11 from three-point range in a game seven of an NBA Finals against the Houston Rockets that lost the Finals to Elijah one of them. And I love John Starks, but I'll never get over that. I'll never get over that. I think the only moment that was worse than that for me, or comparable, I shouldn't say worse, comparable to me, was when Tim Tebow, who I love, he's my friend. He's my friend. But we all know I felt Tim Tebow couldn't throw the football. He was completing 46% of his passes when he was a starting quarterback for the Denver Broncos. And this dude throws the ball over the middle to Demarius Thomas for an 80-yard touchdown. To win a damn playoff game for the Denver Broncos against my Pittsburgh Steelers. I've never forgiven Ike Taylor for that. I've never forgiven him. Now, I'm a Christian man. I'm a God-fearing individual. And I'm supposed to be forgiving. But damn it, it's tough. It's worn on me heavily. I've never gotten over that. I've never gotten over that with Tim Tebow. Tim Tebow threw a touchdown pass for 80 yards. Ike Taylor. Couldn't keep up with Demarius Thomas. And I'll never forget as long as I live, I fell on my face and collapsed and stayed there for two hours fighting back tears because of how miserable I was because I knew I was have to come into work every day on first take at the time with Skip Bayless, who is the Tebow, ultimate Tebow lover. I knew. I would, I, I've never wanted to call in sick for work more in my life. I've had food poisoning to COVID. And I wanted to work more then than I wanted to work that next day after Tim Tebow threw a damn touchdown pass to win a playoff game against my Pittsburgh Steelers, knowing I had to come into work the next day with Skip Bayless sitting across from me. But I digress. Back to LeBron James. Those numbers, LeBron James, 34% shooting in the fourth quarter of this postseason is the third worst in the NBA this postseason 
a minimum of 30 field goal attempts. The only people worse than LeBron James were R.J. Barrett of the New York Knicks and Klay Thompson of the Golden State Warriors. That's it. And by the way, we forgive Klay Thompson because Klay Thompson history shows he's one of the top five shooters in the history of basketball. He just had a bad sprint. That's all. Bad stint. He'll be fine. But we know he can shoot. We got questions about LeBron James and that three-point shot. Stop shooting the damn three-pointer. Take your big ass to the hole. Pound, ground and pound. Use those muscles. You sitting there doing advertisement with these tonal machines. Showing your muscles every chance you get. Use them. Stop shooting the three. Stay off the three. Please. I got that from my show, NBA and Stephen A's World. But I digress. Again, stop shooting the three, LeBron. It's not for you, especially not in the fourth quarter. Having said that, I believe the Los Angeles Lakers will come back if he can play. They'll tie this series at 2-2. They'll find a way to push it to seven, even though it would have shocked me if Denver wins it in six. Denver could lose, but I doubt it. I think they're going to the finals. Let me transition to the Boston Celtics. Because they've got a game two coming up tonight. And game one wasn't too good. Jimmy Butler did his thing. We know this. Last year, in playoffs, in games that Miami won, seven-game series, went seven games. Jimmy Butler averaged 32 a game in the three games they won. He averaged 20 a game in in the three games they lost. So somehow, some way, it might behoove you to neutralize him. That's number one. Number two. The Miami Heat had four different players score 15 points. Four. And of those four different players that scored 15 points apiece, all four of them hit it hit three three-pointers. All four of them. You got to do something about that. You just got to do something about that. You got to figure out a way not to let that happen. That's what they got to do. By the way, Jason Tatum, A lot of people are going off about him. I'm not going to go off about him. I love Jason Tatum. He's a superstar in this league. Superstars do not go an entire fourth quarter without attempting one field goal. Not when you just finish averaging 30 for the season. Not even Larry Bird averaged 30 for the Boston Celtics in the season. Averaged 29.9, but not 30. You're Jason Tatum. You got to shoot the ball. The Boston Celtics, you got to play defense. Defensive field goal percentages by individuals. Marcus Smart gave up 61% shooting with whoever he was guarding against. Jason Tatum gave up 60%. Malcolm Brogdon gave up 58%. Robert Williams III gave up 57%. Jalen Brown gave up 53%. Where the hell's the defense, Boston Celtics? This is where Joe Mazzula takes heat. This is where people question, Ime Udoka, are we better off with, without him or not? Because even though you're in the conference finals, the fact of the matter is there's been some faux pas, some mistakes. When it comes to some of the things that Joe Mazzulla was doing. And we got to be real with that. There's no way around that. We have to be real with that. They got to be better defensively. They got to make sure that Jason Tatum gets the ball. They got to make sure that Jalen Brown, who's in line for a five-year, $295 million deal, that that brother gets the ball. He ain't going to get that much. They ain't paying two players $300, $600 million. That's not going to happen. Boston's not going to do that. But both of them will get well over $200 million. And they both deserve it. But you got to close the deal. 
And Jimmy Butler is coming at them now like a rough rider. He ain't scared. He told them before game one he was going to beat them. And nobody brought it up as bulletin board material, bulletin board material, as my man Jalen Rose said. Because guess what? We weren't surprised. Because Jimmy Butler is that dude. So we just got to be honest about it. We got to be real with it and authentic with it. Jason Tate's got to shoot the ball in the fourth quarter. Him and Jalen Brown have to be more efficient. They all got to stop turning the damn ball over. And they got to play better defense because that's what the Boston Celtics were doing under Ime Udoka. And they're not doing that this postseason enough under Joe Missoula. And the four players for Miami that shot threes, Gabe Vincent, Max Struess, Kyle Lowry, and Caleb Martin, each scored 15 points, each connected on three point, uh, three three-point field goals apiece. You got to do something about that. It's just that simple. Heat are 11-2 when Jimmy Butler scores 35 or more points in a playoff game. Jimmy Butler joined Russell Westbrook from 2014 and Michael Jordan from 1989 as the only players with at least 35 points, five assists, and five steals in a conference finals game. Miami 7-0 this postseason when Jimmy Butler scores 27 or more points. He had 20 at halftime game one. 12 or 25 field goals he finished with for the game. That's 48% shooting. It was Butler's fifth game with 30 or more points this postseason, and he added seven assists, six steals, five rebounds. Three-point field goal shooting, Miami. One of the worst offenses in the NBA this past season. 16 of 31 shooting from three-point range. They also shot 10 of 15 from mid-range. Boston was 10 of 9 from three-point, 34%. Last stat that we all need to pay attention to. Do you all know over the last two postseasons, the Boston Celtics are a 500 team at home? 10 and 10 in the postseason compared to 12 and 6 on the road. They fell a 4-4 four four at home this postseason, but they're 4-2 on the road this postseason. They were 32-9 and nine at TD Garden in Boston during the regular season. Something's got to give. Boston's got to win game two. I don't give a damn how good they are on the road. I don't think you're coming back against this Miami team down 0-2 after losing your first two games on your home court. No matter how good they are on the road, I don't believe that for a second. So they're going to have to get it together. On a separate note, <clears throat> I wanted to give out heartfelt condolences to the family the loved ones um, in the sports world, because we lost a great one today. About 30 minutes before this show began, live right here on YouTube, the Stephen A. Smith Show. It's been renamed from No Mercy with Stephen A. to the Stephen A. Smith Show. And that is the name it will have for as long as I'm doing this from now on. Learned a half hour before the show that Hall of Fame running back Jim Brown, the great Jim Brown, has passed away. Um, I knew Jim Brown. Um, we spoke, not often, but we spoke on quite a few occasions. This is a man that I loved and revered and always will. Um, he was 87 years of age. His birthday was May 18th. Um, NFL, nine years. One of the greatest running backs, universally recognized as arguably the greatest running back in NFL history for a long, long time. There have been other greats. Barry Sanders is in a class of his own. Emmett Smith was an all-time lead in Russia when he retired. What sweetness, Walter Payton was absolutely phenomenal. The list goes on and on. I mean, you, you got great ones all over the place. You know, Terrell Davis, Thurman Thomas, so many others. You know, Roger, you know uh, Tony Dorsett. I mean, the list just goes on and on and on. When we think about Earl Campbell. I'm just thinking about some of the great, great running backs in NFL history off of the top of my head. You know, I, I mean, what can you say? 
from a Steelers perspective, obviously people want me to mention Franco Harris. All right, fine. I didn't consider him on their, on their level, but I get you. There's a lot of great, great running backs in NFL history. Um, Jim Brown was universally recognized as one of the greatest and in some cases the absolute greatest. He played for the Cleveland Browns from 1957 to 1965, nine years. Of those nine years, seven of those years, he never rushed for less than 1,200 yards. Ever. Career 5.2 yards per carry. And he would get up after every tackle and get up slow and give off the impression that he was hurt or whatever. He was just a poised individual that took his time. That was incredibly thoughtful. But that's what y'all know about Jim Brown. Here's what I know. I know that Jim Brown was the founder of the Amer I Can Foundation. M-A-E-R, spelled American, but Amer I can. And it was a foundation that he started because he wanted to facilitate the matriculation from former prison inmates back into the real world. That was something that was near and dear to his heart. That was something that was important to him. He was a guy that knew where he came from, never, ever forgot where he came from, and conducted himself in that fashion at every turn. He's somebody that was a civil rights activist when Muhammad Ali didn't want to enter the armed services after being drafted to go to the Vietnam War and ended up being stripped of his heavyweight crown, heavyweight boxing crown, unemployed and not allowed to earn a living for at least three years. Jim Brown was one of those people standing behind him in support of him, along with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Bill Russell and so many other um, African-American, black, dignified, upstanding, elite, athletic individuals that were willing to not just put their careers but their lives on, their li on the line for the betterment of our society. So people like me could come up one day and achieve the things that I could achieve and to help others from my community do exactly the same. They weren't just great athletes. They were sensational athletes who were incredibly brave individuals that were willing to make the necessary sacrifices in order to make this world a better place. And Jim Brown was most certainly one of those people. I love this man. I appreciate this man. I'm grateful to this man for all that he's meant to me, for all that he's meant to the black community, and for all that he's meant to the human race. He will truly be missed, but never forgotten. We'll be back with more The Stephen A. Smith Show in just a minute. This is the moment of a lifetime. The clock's ticking like my lifeline. Until I flatline, I push it to the red line. Who gon' stop me high? Who gon' stop me high? Welcome back to the Stephen A. Smith Show right here on YouTube live. I'll be live with you at least three days a week. Um, at least every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. The show was formerly known as No Mercy with Stephen A. Smith, but I changed it to my name because I like my name. I like seeing my name in lights. Lights, camera, action. 
makes me feel good, enthused, motivated, the whole bit. Not to say that anything else did it. But when you think about me, you Google, you Google Stephen A. By the way, you see my book right there on the screen. Um, thanks to you all, my, new, my book has been a New York Times bestseller. Spent nine weeks on the New York Times bestseller list. Straight Shooter, a memoir of second chances and first takes. A lot of my life story is in there. I wrote it as an inspirational source uh, for some folks out there. Oftentimes I've said people like Jay-Z, Shaq, and so many others, they're not the American dream. I am. They're the American fantasy turned reality. But you've got a one in a billion shot, probably bigger than that, to ever be where they are. But you know what? You can be Stephen A. Smith. You can get left back in the fourth grade because you got a first grade reading level. You can sit up there and have all, you know, be suffering from undiagnosed dyslexia. You can have guidance counselors laugh in your face when you tell them you want to go to college. You could have a world doubting you, telling you you ain't going to be a damn thing and you'll never do anything in life. All of those things could happen to you. Absolutely true. And you could still be sitting where I'm sitting today. You could put your head down. You can pound that pavement. You can scratch and claw. You could be committed to being the very best that you could be at whatever your chosen profession is. And you can find success that way. That's what makes me the American dream. Because it's plausible. It's obtainable. It's reachable. It's not beyond the clouds or beyond the stratosphere. That is what I wanted to say. That is the difference between me and ultra stars. Like the aforementioned individuals I threw out there. Now let me get to another subject before I move on. My last point about Jim Brown and the American Amera I can rather that's how I like to say it. A-M-E-R hyphen I hyphen Ken. I want to say this about that organization because it assisted former prison inmates in developing life skills that aided their transition after serving sentences. That's what Jim Brown, one of the things Jim Brown was committed to. And basically human rights and civil rights for all, but especially black people. It was started in 1988. Here's one other thing that before I move on from the subject that you need to know. In 1992, the organization did help initiate a truce between rival gangs in Los Angeles. It's amazing what you can do when you're a respected individual that can get folks to sit down across from one another and care about each other as human beings. It's amazing what you can pull off. Let me transition to the world of politics in this regard. Governor Chris Christie, formerly the governor of New Jersey from 2010 to 2018, to be exact. It is believed that in the coming days he will announce his presidency. And obviously, there's a lot of people out there that's going to ask, does he even have a chance? He was a governor that proudly pronounced he was a pro-life governor that proudly pronounced he was the first pro-life governor elected in New Jersey since Roe v. Wade in 1973. That was at the time he was governor. As governor, he opposed same-sex marriage, but voiced support for New Jersey's civil union law. He opposes the legalization of recreational marijuana use. I know some of you out there are going to find that. Stephen A., there you go. Stay off the weed! 
Dog. I know. You're going to say, no, 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 no. I don't have a problem with people smoking weed. I have a problem with people letting it cost them their money. You're a new fool. You let, I ain't never seen a joint that cost a million dollars in my life. Hell, I ain't never seen a joint that cost $100,000. The hell you use, losing money for because you smoking a joint because you want to puff, puff, and pass. Grow the hell up. But if it ain't going to cost you money, by all means, puff, puff, puff away. I ain't mad at you. Do your thing. Even though I don't think it's for everybody. Some people can handle it. Matt Bond, Steven Jackson on all the smoke, they can handle some weed. I remember when Joe Smith was playing in the NBA. That brother can handle weed. I saw him wobble courtside when a coach was talking to him because he was so high. Everybody ain't made, ain't, everybody can't deal with some weed. Everybody can't deal with it. Shouldn't say Joe Smith. I might be wrong. Might not have been him. This was like over 25 years ago. But you get my point. Let me get back to the former governor of New Jersey, Chris Christie. Began his governorship with approval rating near 50%, but in 2017, Quinnipiac found that 50% approved of Christie and 81% disapproved. That was the lowest recorded approval rating of a New Jersey governor in history. I don't need notes to say what I'm about to say. There's a lot of you because of some of the conservative views I've expressed that have been under the impression that I'm a Republican. I am not. I vote Democrat, even though I'm not willing to deny that that may change because I'll be damned if I'm happy with this administration. But I'm going to tell you something. In my lifetime, I have voted for one Republican. That Republican was Governor Chris Christie of New Jersey. I didn't know him then. I just knew that I felt that Corzine was a mess and I did not want him to be my governor. And I like Chris Christie's no-nonsense approach, how he was in your face. He wasn't scared of confrontation because that comes with the job and you can't be scared of that. And you got to be willing to tell it like it is. And I found him to be that guy. Well, over the years, let me tell you what problem I think all of you should have with Chris Christie. He's a Cowboys fan. I've gotten to know this man. I love him. I've even been on the record when I went on Mad Dog Christopher Russo uh, radio show, Mad Dog Radio, three to six every weekday. On Sirius XM, Mad Dog Radio, Channel 82. He had me and Chris Christie on there together a couple of weeks ago. I've been friends with Chris Christie for years now. I didn't know him back then, but I've gotten to know him over a few years. There's only one condition under which he would not get my vote. If Bob Iger, the CEO of Walt Disney, ran for president, which he obviously is not intending to do. I consider Bob Iger the greatest executive I've ever known. Period. And you're talking to somebody that, you know, I might not, hey, life changes. I may not always be at ESPN at my day job. My days might be numbered for all I know. I don't know. Tomorrow ain't guaranteed. Disney lost about five and a half billion dollars. They announced months ago they're going to lay up about 7,000 workers. 
Ladies and gentlemen, make no mistake, I am no fool. One of those people could be me. Now, I know everybody say, no way in hell, no way in hell. I will remind you, I got fired before, 2009 to be exact. I was unemployed, thinking I was it, and nobody looked at me. Nobody. I was living off my savings for damn near a year. I don't take anything for granted and assume that couldn't happen again. At all. So I'm not telling you what I'm telling you about Bob Iger. Because I'm looking for favors. I believe in producing. And getting what I've earned. And if I don't earn it, I don't get it. He owes me nothing. I owe him nothing. Even though I feel like I owe him everything because he's such a great boss. I only bring him up because he's the only person that I would vote for at the expense of Governor Chris Christie. Which Chris Christie knows. I would vote for Bob Iger before I vote for Chris Christie. There's nobody that I would vote for above Chris Christie on a Democratic or the Republican side. Nikki Haley, I respect her in the job that she did in South Carolina to some degree, but she's not getting my vote. I'm looking at these other candidates here. Former Arkansas government, Governor Asa Hutchinson, he ain't getting my vote. Vivek Ramaswamy, I don't know this person. The only thing I know about this person, they were arguing with Don Lemon on CNN a few weeks ago. He ain't getting my vote. Donald Trump damn sure ain't getting my vote. I don't even think about Donald Trump's politics. I just think about the fact that he don't know how to act. And you can't be so divisive and so petty and so caught up in the past that you're not looking forward. Karl Rove, noted Republican, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, pundit and what have you, wrote a sensational editorial in the Wall Street Journal about how Donald Trump is busy looking in the past. We need somebody that's going to look forward and is going to think about the future. So he damn sure wouldn't get my vote. DeSantis, how can I? Look at the petty fights you get into. I ain't getting into the Disney stuff. I'm employed. That's my day job. I'm riding with Bob Iger all day, every day. It's none of my business. He's my boss. Let him handle it. He's more than capable of handling it. Although I do get his points. Jobs, more individuals employed, more taxpayer dollars going to your state. Wouldn't you want that? I think that's a valid point, but that's all I got to say about that. Rolling with Bob Iger. But he ain't running for office. Chris Christie will likely announce. And I'm telling y'all in advance, unless Bob Iger decides to leave Disney and go and, and you know, decide that he wants to run for president or Michelle Obama decides that she wants to run for president because I could never vote against her. I'm rolling with Chris Christie. I'm rolling with Chris Christie. The man is smart as a whip. If I recall correctly, former prosecutor, never really asked him about that. Only thing I hold against him is that he's a Dallas Cowboys fan. I don't understand this fixation on the Cowboys. I just, I just don't get it. Don't you understand they could contaminate you and they could cost you the election? If I were Chris Christie, as much as I love my buddy Jerry Jones, my Libra brother, because I do love him. The fact of the matter is, 
it can bring you bad luck. We all know a black cat's running around that franchise. Chris Christie got to disassociate himself from the Dallas Cowboys if he's going to run for election. Because it ain't going to win you any votes beyond the South. And damn it, in the South, some of those folks might not give you that vote. So he got to disassociate himself from the Cowboys, but in all seriousness, because I'm just joking there. But in all seriousness, there's a couple of other things that we got to pay attention to. Number one, let's get the obvious out of the way. I'm going to read from my notes because my researchers did an extraordinary job in putting this stuff together. The least I can do is read their material. Because it's all factual and it's right and it's on point and y'all need to know it. The Fort Lee closure scandal. Remember that? That's the George Washington Bridge, which I go over frequently. AKA George Washington Bridge closure scandal was a scandal involving a staff member and political appointee of Governor Chris Christie's colluding to create a traffic jam in Fort Lee, New Jersey, by closing lanes at the toll plaza in 2013. Investigations found that the lane closures were retribution against Fort Lee Mayor Mark Sokolich for not endorsing Christie. Mr. Sokolich, if I mispronounce your name, I apologize. S-O-K-O-L-I-C-H. Sokolich or Sokolich? Mark Sokolich for not endorsing Christie. It was orchestrated by three of Christie's employees and executives. The three officials were found guilty and were sentenced between 18 and 24 months in prison. While Christie was never charged in the case, the testimony painted an unflattering picture of his administration and damaged his presidential aspirations, so they say. In January of, 2020, uh, January of 2014, there was a wide range of opinion about the impact of this scandal on a potential 2016 presidential bid. By February 2014, national polling showed a substantial erosion in this political standing and this 2016 presidential campaign prospects. Fast forward to 2024, Christie's been talking to potential donors, staffers, and others to discuss a campaign for president in 2024. He is in the process of making a decision and has indicated he will make one in the coming weeks. Ladies and gentlemen, let me tell you what I know about Chris Christie from personal interaction. He's smart as hell. He knows what the hell he's talking about. He knows all the issues. He knows how to lead. Whether you like his policies or not is for you to determine. But when we consider how DeSantis is acting and engaging in, in a pettiness that he's engaging in, Because it is petty. When you consider Trump, who lives in pettiness. I mean, he's more preoccupied with talking about how the election was rigged instead of talking about winning 2024. He's setting the stage that if he doesn't win going forward, it's rigged again. He wants chaos. Remember the movie Batman? The Dark Knight. Remember when the butler Albert was talking? To Christian Bale, who played Batman. And remember when he talked about this story about some person that was in, in, in the jungles or, or, you know, was parading through Europe or whatever the hell it was that he said. And he said he was robbing people and killing people and stuff like this. And they thought they wanted to pay him off and stuff like that. But he wouldn't take the money and they couldn't figure out why. And then he looked at Batman and he said. Some people can't be bought. Some people just want to see the world burn. Now, clearly, we ain't going to say that Trump can't be bought. We ain't going to go that far. 
I mean, whether it's real estate issues, Russian collusion, which was hasn't proven to be true as far as I'm concerned, or whether a bunch of other stuff that you want to point to. The bottom line is when you file for bankruptcy multiple times and, you know, when, when, when you're filing lawsuits all over the place and stuff like that, obviously money matters a lot to Donald Trump. When money matters that much to you, you can be bought. But it is clear that if he doesn't win, he wants to see the world burn. In the case of Christie, that's not so. Christie can be a fire breather. He can be combative. He will stand up for himself. He will go toe-to-toe with anyone on the issues. He's articulate about the issues. He knows what's going on. And he ain't backing down from anybody. I can tell you that. Including Donald Trump and Ron DeSantis. Yet. He knows Donald Trump lost the election, yet he's not talking about stuff that's been rigged, yet he's not engaged in the pettiness that Ron DeSantis has been engaged in, which Chris Christie himself has spoken out against, nor is he engaged or has been engaged in the salacious nonsense that Donald Trump has repeatedly found himself in. To me, it's a no-brainer who Republicans should want as their candidate. And to me, it's a no-brainer. That if the Democrats don't come up with somebody other than Biden and Kamala Harris. Their only hope of recapturing the presidency in the White House is for Donald Trump to run, to be the Republican nominee. That's all I have to say about that. Bob Iger. And who can vote against Michelle Obama? Two people who never want to run for president, it appears. Those are the only two people I'd give a shot to beat any Republican candidate outside of Donald Trump and maybe now Ron DeSantis. But if Chris Christie was the Republican nominee, I don't think anybody out of those two individuals I mentioned have a chance in hell of beating them. Not a chance in hell. And I want to acknowledge, he and I talk all the time. We're friends. I know him. I've gotten to know him over the years. I like him a lot. And I'd support him. I ain't say I'd report, support Republicans, but I'd support him. Just like I'd support Barack Obama if he could run again. I'd support Michelle Obama. I'd definitely support Bob Iger. He's always got my support. That's my guy. Just the way it's going to be. Back with more of the Stephen A. Smith Show. The debut of the Stephen A. Smith show in a minute. This is the moment of a lifetime. Uh-huh. The clock's ticking like my lifeline. Until I flatline, I push it to the red line. Who gonna stop me high? Who gonna stop me high? Before I get on out of here today, I want ladies everywhere. To know that I'm issuing you a warning, you can feel free to leave right now. You might not want to hear what I have to say. I want ladies everywhere to understand. You can leave now. I understand. Because contrary to the nonsense that trolls try to disseminate to the masses, 
as a man raised by five black women, five strong black women, five independent black women. Got my assistant, assistant sitting next to me, my assistant extraordinaire. Her name is Sumatra. She ain't no joke either. She be ready to punch people in the face all the time. Yes, she can get violent. Yes, she scares her own boss. This is true. Okay? But there comes a moment in time when a man has to be brave and he has to stand up. This segment right here, ladies and gentlemen, is for the fellas. It's for the fellas everywhere. I'm going to be anti-Oprah here, who I love. I'm going to be anti-Gail King here, who I love. I can't take it anymore. We ain't going to be victimized like this again. So you see this story because I got two of them. Let me get to the first one. Judge rules for Tiger Woods in the NDA situation with his ex-girlfriend. NDA means non-disclosure agreement for those of you who don't know. Congratulations. Let me read the details. A judge in Florida has ruled that Tiger Woods' ex-girlfriend, Erica Herman, must abide by a non-disclosure agreement. She was seeking to have nullified Herman is suing Woods and the home trust he owns for 30 million pounds. Why is she suing, dare I ask? Herman claimed the agreement was not valid due to a federal law that limits the enforceability of NDAs in cases of sexual harassment or abuse. But the judge ruled that she provided no evidence of any sexual misconduct. So she didn't really have a case. In the suit, Herman alleges she was locked out of their shared home in Florida after she was, quote, duped into packing her bags for a holiday. Now, this is where this is where this is where y'all lose me. This is why I said the ladies could leave right now. She claims Tiger Woods had promised her that she could live at their home for 11 years. Yo, y'all. Tiger Woods, I apologize in advance. I ain't trying to throw out your business. It's just a matter of public record. You know what I'm saying? So I'm just trying to be, you know, just trying to get it out the way. Ladies and gentlemen, Samantha, look at me when I'm talking to you because I can see you out the corner of my eye. I want to see if you ladies out there can sit up there and say this with a straight face. Remember when Tiger Woods got in trouble years ago? Remember that he was cheating on his wife? Remember that he had porn stars in his crib? Remember that? Do you also remember that he reportedly slept with 120 different women during his six-year marriage to Ellen Nordegren? So a man that slept with 120 women who's worth a billion promised one woman, you can stay in my home for 11 years. Seriously, y'all? That's what we're doing. That's, that's, that's what we're doing now. We're going to sit up here and literally think that Tiger Woods promised this woman you can lay in my house for 11 years. Ladies, who's that dude? Show him to us. Men everywhere would like to know. Who's that guy? Take your time. I'll wait. How much time we got, y'all? How much time we got? Show me the dude that promises a woman. I know men who are married with no prenup, who are broke, that doesn't promise a woman you can live here for the next 11 years. But Tiger Woods did it. Really? Really? See, it's that kind of BS. 
that makes me lose it. You see what I'm saying? Because that's clearly, I, I don't know this definitively because I wasn't there. I'm not a fly on the wall. I don't believe that shit one bit. Come on. Come on. 11 years? Really? Really? I'm a billionaire. I got porn stars on speed dial. I had 120 women when I was married, so Lord knows what I might have now that I'm single. But I promised this one girl who I'm not married to that you can live in my crib for 11 years. See, that's that nonsense right there. Y'all know it's true. All I'm saying, ladies, is have a plausible argument, a plausible story. And I'm down for you. Because I'm old school. I believe that if you are a man and you are well off, any woman you with, you should take care of. It doesn't mean you have to pay every bill or anything like that, but you're supposed to take care of them. They ain't ever supposed to struggle. I believe the quality of life you have, you should ensure that they have that quality of life while they're with you. Now, when they're not with you, they not they don't they shouldn't have to have your quality of life, but you shouldn't drop them off and have them living like a peasant either. Make sure that you take care of them. You look out for them as affordable as you would like. If you worth a hundred million, what's wrong with getting them a million dollar house? Ain't no crime in that. They may not be entitled to your quality of life, but it doesn't mean that you need to strip them of any quality of life. But 11 years, just stop it. Let me move on to this last story because this involves friends. Gabrielle Union, phenomenal actress and even better person. A friend of mine, I've known her for many years. I love her to death. And my love for D. Wade her husband, Dwayne Wade, former star of Miami Heat, was going into the Hall of Fame this summer. Spectacular honor, well-deserved first ballot Hall of Fame. He was sensational. I still miss him. Ladies and gentlemen, I sit here to you in all honesty and telling you that D. Wade is one of the best human beings I've ever known as a professional athlete. It doesn't get much better than D. Wade as a person. He's a beautiful person. He really, really is. Heart's in the right place. And I love his mama. I love his sister. I love his family. I love his cousin, Antoine, all, all the crew. I love them all. I know them. But Gabrielle Union made news because she was on some Bloomberg original series, Idea Generation. She shared her journey as an actress with host Noah Callahan Beaver. Uh, one part got everybody up in arms. The host asked her, at what point did you develop that first sense of security and that the work is coming and as long as I keep knocking it out there, it's going to be more. And there isn't the sense of the rug could still be pulled out. Union's response was, I struggle with that. I think I just have more responsibilities for, for my money. So I get nervous like, oh my God, that movie didn't open well. What does that mean? Am I going to have enough to hold everybody up? And everyone's like, I'm coming. Calm down. It's coming, rather. Calm down. I'm trying to find peace in the journey, not using my anxiety and scarcity mindset to be my engine, which is hard. It's weird to say I am head of household because in this household, we split everything 50-50. Naturally, because she said that the Internet was in an uproar because Union's husband, Dwayne Wade, is a three-time former NBA player, um, uh, three-time former NBA champion. Dwayne Wade, his reporter, whose reported net worth is $150 million, while the Internet says her net worth is nowhere near as high as his. Essence.com had an article debating the subject and made mention of the fact that he stepped out on her before they were married and conceived a child outside of their relationship as a result. But she stayed by his side. Why did y'all bring that up? What the hell does that have to do with the price of tea in China? 
he was not married to her. And whatever transgressions he may or may have may not have made, I don't know anything about it. Don't want to know. It's none of my damn business. The point is, it's none of yours either. Shut the hell up. You see, y'all try to conflate the issue. This was an issue about their finances and 50-50 split in the household. But what you're saying is, well, he cheated on her. So guess what? It shouldn't be 50-50. Well, didn't she stay? Didn't that happen before they got married? If it happened before they got married, then what does it have to do with their marriage? That's point number one. Point number two, last time I checked, two consenting adults reached the conclusion as to how they want to divide the assets in their household. Number three, and more importantly, wondering why some of y'all ain't married? Because that kind of attitude will leave you single. Now, let me drop back and dial it back a little bit. That kind of attitude will leave you single. You are absolutely right from the standpoint that any man that is well off, if you love your woman, you take care of her. And if you don't love her anymore, how about being a decent, God-fearing individual who came out of the womb of a woman, understanding the importance of taking care of a woman to the best of your ability, simply because you at least once loved her and she deserves that. I get that. But the reason why we got such a problem in today's day and age is because you have folks that want it both ways. On one hand, you'll walk around spewing that entitlement stuff, even for stuff you ain't entitled to. And on the other hand, one minute is that and another minute is independence. Another minute you want to be out on your own. Another minute you want to do what you want to do, when you want to do it, how you want to do it, with whomever you please. You don't want to answer to anybody, especially a damn man. But he should give me this. Really? Really? We'll talk about this because I don't run from relationships issues on anybody. I'm not talking about myself. Because I'm a private individual and my relationships or lack thereof are none of anybody's damn business. I'll be quick to tell you to kiss my ass in a heartbeat before I tell you my business. But I'm damn good at giving advice. I'm damn good on deducing a situation and going and maneuvering through the minefield and telling you what's the best course of action and what may not be the best course of action. These are the kind of things that you need to know. These are the kind of things you need to inhale and embrace. Just remember that. We'll talk about this more in the days and the weeks to come because I ain't going anywhere. That's all I had to say about this particular episode of the Stephen A. Smith Show. It is no longer no mercy. It is the Stephen A. Smith Show. I'll be coming at you live a minimum of three days a week. Minimum every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific. Make sure you tune in because I always got something to say. And you know I don't hesitate to bring it. I'll never let you down in that department. Until next time, peace and love. Enjoy y'all weekend. This has been a presentation of Cadence 13, an Odyssey company in association with Stephen A. Podcast Productions. Episodes of No Mercy are available now for free wherever you get your podcasts.